Amen. 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 If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Hopefully I've been sharing with you. I've been stuck in Philippians now for quite a while. And uh, I want to continue in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. Um, Brent, here's a, you got one, eh? Good. Just suddenly remembered. Um, there was no other visitors here that needed a, any, was, is, is there any other visitors? Have you got a little visitors pack? Did they get? Did they get, eh? Okay. Um, I, we've been going along on this little journey as a church. We've been in, uh, uh, um, sharing some things, encouraging one another. Um, just, uh, I believe, setting up the foundation uh, of the local church, the understanding of the local church, so that as God explodes us and brings in the people, that He brings them into an environment and a place that's conducive to growth, conducive to love, to building His church and the kingdom. Amen. So that means family. It means that we're all one big family, that we're kind of connected together, love one another, and we're working together. How many know that um, before we even launch off this morning, how many know that we, are, we are, are susceptible to be deceived? We're all susceptible, susceptible to have blind spots. Amen. So we open our hearts, we're teachable, we're humble, we have a look, we say, Lord, keep teaching me, keep showing me, because I know that I can be blind. Amen. For years and years in this country, people kept going to church on a Sunday and celebrating and loving God and reading the Word and doing a whole bunch of stuff while a whole group of people were being maligned, ostracized, and their rights were being violated. Hello. While the church was sleeping, how many know the church can be deceived and can have some blind spots? Amen. I'm not asking you to take ownership of the history of South Africa. I'm asking you to understand this morning that we are susceptible to blind spots and to be deceived. Amen. So that's why we're teachable, we open the Word, and we have a look, and we listen. We don't have hardened hearts, we don't have things, because we're all susceptible, every single one of us, to the law and to the, uh, uh, the environment and to the atmosphere of whatever we are living and working and operating in. So the atmosphere subtly is changing. At times, we subtly get lured and deceived, and that becomes the norm. Which is why in countries, it's amazing how as things shift and change in countries, the church is like frogs sitting in boiling water as they're just getting cooked slowly, just warming up the water, and everything becomes acceptable. As, as things change slightly, now it's law. Friends, I'm not interested in the law. I'm not interested in the opinions of people. I'm not interested... In my opinion, I'm interested in the Word of God. I'm interested in truth. And for me, I have to keep looking at truth so that it can help me. How many of us here have driver's licenses? Okay. How many of you have driver's licenses? You've been on a freeway or, or a highway or a double or dual carriageway. How many know that you can be driving along in that car and you're looking and you decide to turn and as you decide to move across to the next lane, some oak is right there, whatever, gives you a honk and signs and wonders and you have to swerve all the way back, back into your lane again and go, how the heck did I miss that size car? Right? We're all on the same page. The reason why we missed it is because there's a blind spot. So let me encourage you. 
Travel back or travel next to, but don't travel in the blind spot. Amen. Just as a, a driving tip for today. Sponsored by the AA. But we have blind spots, friends, and we have to be aware that there are blind spots. And we ask the Lord to help us with those blind spots. We also can easily be deceived, amen? If today we started the service at nine o'clock and I was late, and I was 15 or 20 minutes late, um, if I ran in here at 20 past nine, sweating, everybody's awkward, like silence, oh, and I go, really, I'm sorry, uh, just a bit copping here, car had a flat tire, stopped to change the tire, and... Um, while I was changing the tire, just finished changing the tire, I stepped back and a Pantechnican 18-wheeler just hit me straight between my eyes, boom. And uh, so that's, sorry, that's why I'm late. <laughs> Every single one of you be sitting there thinking one of two things. One, this guy's a liar. Or two, he's totally deceived. Because how many know when you get hit by a Pantechnican 18-wheeler, you change. <laughs> Amen. Well, Jesus is like an 18-wheeler pan technician. When you encounter Jesus Christ, you encounter the creator of heaven and earth, you create, encounter the one who holds everything together, you change. And if you don't change, you are deceived. Because you never met him then. Amen. That's a good start, Grant. Just see how the people are warming to you so nicely. <laughs> so I just want to encourage us as a church today as we look at a bunch of things. I want us just to understand something that maybe we just need to sit a little bit. We need to just look at things again and look at stuff and ask God to challenge our hearts because we want to come into line with the Word of God and truth. We want to live. We want to reveal who He is. Amen. We want to say, God, this is not just the church that so we just want to do a whole bunch of stuff. Friends, I'm tired of uh, that we get some more money so we can make this building look nicer. I'm tired of making buildings look nice. There are people out there that are dying. And there are people out there that are dying without Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm tired of making sure that everything all looks nice, all comfortable, and it's all very nice, and we feel all good, friends. Like this morning, we can get stretched this morning. I'm not, let me go on a quick side trail. I'm not convinced that all technology and all the lack of stuff and all the band and all that kind of stuff has advanced us in worship. Because the more professional, the more organized they are, the more well they do it, the, more, the greater the songs they write. I don't have to let my heart encounter it. My flesh can just enjoy it and I can mama, I can sing the words, but I'm not sure I'm worshiping. What happened in the days, friends, when people came to church, at best what they had is the word of God and sometimes they had a hymn book just so they could follow the words. They had no music. They had nothing, friends. They just had their voices. And they stood before the Lord with their Bibles and their voices, and they just sang songs of worship, and the presence of God fell, and people began to get touched, moved, and changed, and shoved across rooms, and power and presence of God was flowing mightily, friends. Now we've got smoke machines, we've got lights, we've got action, we've got everything, it's busy, it's wonderful, the songs are fantastic, the musos are fantastic, trained, beautiful, whatever, and I'm sitting there, woo, woo. Miming the words, I've got the words in front of me, miming the words, where's my heart? Amen, so when we get challenged at times like this, because some of our band, and particularly the drummer, uh, has gone, and it's the band has gone somewhere else, friends. It shouldn't be awkward for us. We don't need all of that stuff to worship the king. 
Amen? And then I don't mind being a little uncomfortable because the gospel is going out. Amen? Botswana, northern Botswana, there are, people, there are places there that don't even have churches. I'm quite happy to release and to have people go from our church just to have an uncomfortable Sunday, not to be sitting here, well, I didn't feel like it was a good Sunday because all well, the band and there wasn't loud, action, lights and everything wasn't so great for me and I didn't feel so good. I didn't feel like God was there today. There is church about me and my comfortableness or am actually is my heart beating with Jesus and the gospel and saying, what a privilege that I stand together with one another that we could release a whole bunch of people to go out there and minister in Botswana and bring the gospel to, and change people's lives. Amen? Friends, the reality is to every single one of us is all the good places have been taken. Isn't it amazing how the Holy Spirit has spoken and told all the good places. It's amazing within a radius from here in 10 Ks, there are many, many churches and new ones starting all the time because the Holy Spirit has spoken. But the Holy Spirit is very silent on Syria. And the mountains of Afghanistan and Iran and Iraq and India. Two and a half billion people do not even know the name of Jesus. But I am uncomfortable because my drummer has gone to Botswana. Maybe keep your place there and let's just go to Acts. I know it's the end of the year. But we're winding up, not winding down. We're just letting our hearts be challenged. Amen. Maybe we're too comfortable in our theology and understanding because it has been, a lot of it been about us. Church has become about us. We welcome you, we want to make you feel comfortable. I just want to speak truth, friends. I want my life to count for something. I, I believe we want our lives to count for something. Isn't it amazing when you read the Bible, sometimes it's like, it just I don't understand it, so it just goes over our head, but every single one of us, um, if there's one thing that we all have in common is we love Jesus, and uh, we should all be filled with Holy Spirit. We want to be led by Holy Spirit, we want to do what God's called us to do, amen? We all want our lives to count for something, we want, want to do His will, we want to get this job done, amen? Because we're not in love with this world, we, we, we really do want our home. And, uh, and so when you read the Bible, sometimes with all these things, I'll just quick, give you a quick journey. Sometimes we don't understand these things, we would love to know how they work. And, and 
a couple of little uh, scriptures I wanted to share with you quickly, and that's in Acts chapter 13. This is, uh, isn't this amazing? Acts chapter 13, reading from verse 1. Uh, now there was a church at Antioch. So he has a church, there's a church at Antioch, and there are prophets and there are teachers, uh, and there's Barnabas, and there's Simeon, who was called Niger, and there's Lucius of Cyrene, and there's Manan, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Uh, this is some of the leaders and the prophets, the teachers in the church. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, isn't that wonderful? The church gathered together and they were praying and they were fasting, they were worshiping the Lord. Beautiful picture of the church. Um, and they were meeting uh, at five o'clock on a Sunday night um, and they were praying. <laughs> and, um, and they were fasting too. Um, they, were, they, were, they were going without their, their, their uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Sunday Roasts and uh, McDonald's and all those things. And um, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Don't you wanna be a fly on the wall just to figure out what actually went on there? While they were fasting and praying, the Holy Spirit said, how did the Holy Spirit say? What did he say? Who did he say it to? There's a whole bunch of people there. The church is praying. The church is fasting. Did he speak to Barnabas and, and Saul? Did he speak to other leaders? What actually happened there? I don't know. But isn't it fascinating? The Holy Spirit spoke. He did soak and he spoke. And, uh, and he spoke and he said, set apart Barnabas and Saul. And so they prayed and then they set them apart. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The Holy Spirit spoke and they sent them off. Woo, I just love that. It's kind of, wow, who are these people? Let we just move along. Let's look at Acts chapter 16 quickly. Maybe uh, just read from verse uh, six. And they went through the region of Kiramashandela Dababusiende, Phrygia, Fra Logia <laughs> and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Did you just read that in your Bible as well? And they went through the region of uh, Kiramashandi and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word. How does the Holy Spirit forbid you to speak the word in Asia? How does he do it? It's just interesting. And when they did, and when they had come up to Marcia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Wow. Forbid them to speak? Now he doesn't allow them to go into a region? So passing to Marcia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. He has a beautiful illustration. He has a wonderful, uh, that he has a vision, and he has a man from Macedonia telling them, come, come to Macedonia and minister there. 
So that's actually powerful. All of us probably would like that, right? But the reality is, how many of you have dreams? How many of you, is your lives ruled by your dreams? How many of you follow your dreams in your life? How many of you know that your dreams are not too much pizza or Kentucky Fried Chicken or the night before? Amen? Because I'm always praying for a dream. Come thy grant to Table Mountain. <laughs> Come hither. Come live on the mountaintop. Or next to the mountaintop. Or close to the mountaintop. No. Amen. The reality, friends, is that even with our dreams, how does that work? Let's just move on a little bit more. Let's go to Acts. Let's carry on going. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. Just reading from verse 22. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Hold the bus. Paul's just said that he is constrained, that he is going to Jerusalem because he's constrained by the Holy Spirit. And he says in every single stop, every bus stop, every place where they stop, every place, the Holy Spirit reminds him that he's going to a place where he's gonna be beaten up, imprisoned, put in jail. How many know that sometimes when God calls you to go somewhere and to do something, doesn't necessarily mean there isn't gonna be hardships and you might end up in jail or get beaten up or there's difficulties and challenges. How many of you, when you hear that or see that, would ever say, get you behind me, Satan? But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Wow. We could spend the rest of today just on that particular topic, but that's not what I want to share. But isn't that amazing? I do not account my life as of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Wow. He just wants to finish the course that God's given him and the ministry that he received from Jesus. And what's the ministry? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He carries on sharing a little bit more. Um, let's just let's jump to 21, chapter 21. Let's go to verse, uh, or let's just read from verse 1. And when he had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos. And the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and, and set sail. When he had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving on the left, we sailed and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload the cargo. 
And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, Paul's just spoken and said, being led by the Holy Spirit, constrained by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Now the disciples, led by the Holy Spirit, are telling Paul not to go. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all with wives and children accompanied. Um, they're kneeling down the beach. They prayed. It's a beautiful picture of church, and, and they cried, and there was farewell and big hugs and what have you. Um, and then it says, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's left, his belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he should not be persuaded, we seized and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Whole bunch of pictures, just amazing. They're just in your Bible there, just for you. It wasn't Grant saying that. Just a whole bunch of pictures about how the Holy Spirit just like set apart these guys and they prayed, sent them out. How the Holy Spirit uh, forbid them from speaking. How the Holy Spirit uh, uh, would not let them go into a region. How the Holy Spirit uh, um, uh, through there was a vision uh, of a man uh, telling them to come into a particular area. The Holy Spirit is constraining. Paul to go in a direction and to go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's leading the disciples to say, don't go because there's gonna be challenges there. We know that there was challenges and Paul went through all of that. And then Paul's saying, no, listen, I've gotta be led by the Holy Spirit. The, a prophet comes and even declares and tells him that he's gonna be bound and changed, which he was uh, uh, bound and, and thrown in prison, um, uh, Paul. And yet at the end of the day, it's all Holy Spirit leading and guiding and directing. Now, this is not just for Paul. This is for every single believer. The Bible wasn't written just for us to marvel at and say, whoa, 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 great Paul. This was an understanding of the early church and how they were moving. And even when they set them apart, it wasn't just Saul that was set apart. It was also Barnabas, so just a son of encouragement, just a normal, average Joe, right? So when we look at all these things, we've got to ask ourselves and be hungry for and say, I want this. I want to be led by Holy Spirit. I want my life to count, friends, that he would shut me up if he doesn't want me to speak. He would stop me from going here if he doesn't want me to go there. He would, there would be a vision of somebody calling thus, come forth uh, to this or do. My life is led, yielded, uh, and Holy Spirit leads and directs us. That's, that's the purpose, the plan, and God's design for every single one of us. Amen. So when I was just looking at all of this and just and, and, and meditating on it, there are just three keys that I believe um, that we can, why they operated in and why we can operate in it. And that's why I want you to jump to uh, Philippians chapter three quickly. And Philippians chapter three, I believe, is the first key. And uh, just... Uh, uh, because for the sake of time this morning, I'm not gonna get into the, completely into the background, but just reading from Philippians chapter three, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. 
Look out for the dogs and look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who are the mutilators um, of the flesh or who mutilate the flesh. Um, the irony of all of that is that the Jewish people used to call the Gentiles dogs. Um, so here's Paul reversing the whole equation and he's actually calling the Jews dogs um, and evildoers and mutilators of the flesh because the Jews were coming in and trying to corrupt the gospel of Jesus Christ where they were saying you have to do certain stuff, you have to add things, you have to follow these particular laws. If you wanna be a Gentile and you wanna get saved and you want to know Jesus Christ then you have to uh, conform, follow this, even you have to get circumcised, mutilators, of the flesh, etc. Um, so strong words here by Paul. He's saying, let's put all of that aside. Let's concentrate and have the pure gospel. Let's not add a whole bunch of stuff to the gospel. And then he says, because these are the circum, these are the circumcised, or the this is these are the circumcision, um, or we are the circumcision. How many know that as the Church of Jesus Christ, we are the circumcision? And the circumcision, he says, this is what is uh, defines the circumcised. Circumcised of the heart, right? Um, Christians. This is, what, this is what defines a Christian, okay? Um, who worship by the Spirit of God. Amen? And out of everything that I've shared this morning, who worship by the Spirit of God. Not by the flesh, not by entertainment, not by nice little songs where they worship by the Spirit of God. Jesus is looking for worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And glory in Christ Jesus. We glory in Christ Jesus. We don't glory in anything else. There is no accomplishment, there's no achievement on this earth that will ever, ever cause me to glory. I only glory in Jesus Christ. That's a Christian. who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. I love that. And who put no confidence in the flesh. Zero, zippo, nada, naught. No confidence in the flesh. It means that I have no confidence, faith, trust in me, in my ability, in who I am. My confidence, my total ability is in Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, isn't it interesting? After having said that, he says, Paul goes on to say this, though I myself have reason for such confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, if you understand the Greek and you study the Greek there, you'll realize that that is actually a the way he's speaking the Greek there. Honestly, the way he's speaking the Greek, it's actually a, it's a challenge. He's throwing out a challenge. He's saying, anybody out there, anybody out there think their CV beats mine? Anybody, anybody, anybody got any, 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 anybody, any takers? Anybody think their life and have confidence in their life because of what they've achieved and who they are in the flesh? Anybody out there, stand up, come forward. This is, this is the language that Paul is using. He's saying there is nobody that can beat my resume and my CV. And then he goes on to share his resume and his CV. And he says this, which I'll, I'll just bring it into our language. Um, he says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, 
as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Seven things. Circumcised on the eighth day, one. Of the people of Israel, two. Of the tribe of Benjamin, three. A Hebrew of Hebrews, four. As to the law, a Pharisee, five. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, six. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Seven things. Five key treasures that every single person in this life seeks and goes after. Five treasures of this earth. The first one, family heritage. We love that we come from good stock. We love that we come from a good family. We like to be able to say, just check my tree out. If you follow my tree there, you'll see King George VII is in my lineage. There's such a King George and the seventh. But anyway, we love, we love our, our family heritage. It's, we're proud. Have you seen, this is, what, this is what I come from. This is where I come from. This is my family. This is who I am. Amen. Circumcised on the eighth day from Israel, from the tribe Benjamin. Now the tribe of Benjamin is a serious tribe. Very important tribe. Big shot tribe. Number two, treasure. Social status. I come from the tribe of Benjamin. First king in Israel. Where did he come from? The tribe of Benjamin. Not Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin. <laughs> Social status. Great family. Heritage. Social status, not only social status, but guess what it says? It says, um, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee. Bible knowledge, tick. I come from good family, good stock. Family, you've got to look and you can see where I come from. come from a whole line of preachers. My great, 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 great grandfather was Smith Wigglesworth, and no, he wasn't, but I'm just using it as an example. Um, and uh, and uh, social status, uh, who I am, you understand who I am, where I live, where I come from, what I've achieved, what I've done, I'm, I'm quite, and if you wanna know about the word, I know this word, I know this word back to front, I know the Bible very, very well. And as far as religious activities are concerned, number four, religious activities. Paul said, zeal, you, like no one else, I was out there doing all great things. You should have seen, I go to Bible study, at uh, every single week, I, um, I go and feed the poor and have a, 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 at the outlet. I go to the hospital visitations. I go to church every single Sunday. Activities, you won't believe it. I'm there. Everything, uh, it's fantastic. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. As to moral conduct, look at me, baby. You won't find a swear word coming out of my mouth. I just smile at every situation, never get angry, beautiful. Friends, this is depicting an incredible person. And how many know that none of these are bad? Amen? None of these are bad. Friends, these are five treasures. So you can have a person, friends, who comes from great stock, good family, brilliant background, a person who's social uh, graces and status and everything, brilliant, and who knows the word and is out and, and actual fact, fact preaches in the church and reads the Bible and, and knows and teaches and, and is telling people and is fully active, involved in the life of the church, friends, and their life is squeaky clean and everything's great. And when they come to the end of their life, guess what gets stamped on their life? 
wasted. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish taught in this church many times. It's a very powerful word. It really, stum- the first century uh, writers stumbled over that word. They battled. They were, they were, that was a very tough one to write. It literally means dung. Poop, excrement. How else do you want to say it? They keep, Paul counted all of that as just rubbish. In order that I might gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Wow. He counts everything, friends. He says, all these treasures, all these things that people go after, everything that the world values and that it, that it treasures, all five of these key things, friends, that you can have in your life that will be celebrated and accepted and rejoiced in the church today, at the end of their life, friends, written over their life will simply be wasted. But there is only one treasure, friends, one treasure on the other side of the scale. Of all those five, friends, there's one And Paul says there's only one treasure worth going after, worth giving your life for, surrendering everything for, and his name is Jesus. And I count all of that as loss. I count all of that as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ, friends. And it's all about knowing him, friends. It's not about shortcuts, friends. It's not about getting somewhere. It's not about the the destination. It's not about achieving and, and, and doing a whole bunch of stuff. It's all about knowing him, friends. Today, every single one of us, friends, today we'd be sitting here and we'd say, we would love the Holy Spirit to give us a dream and for man to stand up and say thus, God says, go to Gaborone, son, and do something. We'd love that, friends. It's, it's wonderful. That's great, friends. But I can tell you right now, by journeying with God, friends, it's not about getting to Gaborone. It's about getting to know Him. It's a, the journey of knowing Him, friends. It's the journey of walking with God, friends. Number one, the only way you can be like Paul, the only way the Holy Spirit can direct and lead every single one of our lives is if we surrender all. We have to give Him all, friends. We, this has to die. And He's our only treasure. My whole journey is about knowing Him. It's not about the destination. It's not about what I achieve, friends. It's about the journey of knowing Him of working and talking and living with Holy Spirit as he journeys, as he speaks, as he directs, as he leads me because my life has become surrendered, totally yielded to him. Friends, none of those things are bad. They're all good, friends. That's the challenge, that's the challenge. Can you see what Paul is trying to say here? Saying this is all good. 
There's nothing wrong with all of this, friends, but friends, this is not what we're supposed to be laying our lives down and surrendering to. We're supposed to be surrendering to this. We have to count that as rubbish to surrender to that, to be led. Ah, I'm losing my voice. Now I'm gonna read you a couple of scriptures because they don't like to be read from the pulpit, and so I'm just gonna read it because I like to ruffle feathers. So uh, this you won't get in the, this won't get on TV, it won't get into interviews, friends. They want, when they, anybody wants to interview, what they really want you to do is water down the word. As we're seeing worldwide at the moment. I would love to see follow-ups and, and the second and third interview from a person who stands up there and gives the word flat out straight in your face. They never get follow-ups. The people that sit there and go, uh, well, you know, it's up to you and you can, whatever you feel like, all great. Whoa, let's have him back. Unfortunately, if you come to this church, you're gonna have me back every single week. <laughs> That's why I go to Botswana. <laughs> come on. Okay, now I'm gonna read you a couple of scriptures and then we will pull it all together and, uh, and run. No, um, Okay, let's just, let me, I'll read them, there's no particular order. Matthew chapter 13, we, we're gonna move fast now. Matthew chapter 13. Two little parables. It's the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value. Uh, verse 44 to 46, it simply says this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, the king of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. That's the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that interesting? The kingdom of heaven. Now remember in parables, whatever, don't get, there's one point that the, the writer's trying to make, don't get caught up in a whole bunch of other things and get sidelined. How many know that it's free? You don't have to go and buy the gospel to get saved. But the point he's trying to make here, isn't it interesting that he finds this great treasure and he goes and he sells everything to go buy that treasure. Keep that thought process going. Um, let me just quickly go to, while we're journeying along, let's go to Mark. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. You all know the story. I'll just read it quickly because we're moving fast. And as he was uh, setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now why did Jesus say that? Simply put, what, this man came to Jesus because his understanding was he's a good teacher. So he was wanting Jesus to be a teacher. Come, we got lots of teachers. Come teach me, tell me a whole bunch of stuff. Jesus said, nobody is good except God. If you're gonna come to me, come to me as God. Because I'm not gonna give you some nice little advice. I'm not gonna give you some little, hey, this is nice, take it or leave it to add to your knowledge. And your, I'm t this is God. When God speaks, you listen, right? Because he goes on to say, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. 
And, uh, and he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went out sorrowful, for he had great possessions. It's interesting here that what we love to do in the church, I've done it as well, I'm guilty of it. We love to uh, analyze the story very quickly, and we love to just say, you know, that it's about the heart, and it's about we need to bow to God. He's Lord, he's king, and he's sovereign, whatever, and it's about yielding our lives. So this guy, yeah, had a challenge with money. So that was, God got to the point, that was his idol, and so he went after um, the, the, the idol in his life, which is not saying that everybody here needs to sell everything and, 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 and give up and follow Jesus, but he went after the, 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 the thing in his life that was his idol, and, uh, and so he had, he had to surrender, bow his knee, and be obedient to, to God totally, right? That's how we normally preach it, and, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, that's very good. The, the reality, though, what I just want to add to that is Jesus spoke to a person and told him to sell everything. There's some people, maybe even sitting in this room, there's some people today in this environment, every friends, that Jesus is speaking to you and telling you to sell everything. I don't say that's the Bible, friends. Jesus spoke to a man. That means there are some people out there that Jesus is speaking to. But we don't like that. Woo, it's making me uncomfortable here. Very difficult in this Presbyterian church. I need to maybe find a place where I'm more comfortable. I'm just reading the word. Luke. Let's go to Luke chapter 12. I know it's quiet. Maybe some people's minds are drifting too. I need... I need a drink, you know. <laughs> I need some lunch. No. Luke chapter 12, let's just quickly go to Luke chapter 12, verse 32. By the way, just in that story, if you, if you missed the key point in that whole story, it says Jesus loved him. I wonder if we would just dare to believe that Jesus actually does love us. I wonder that no matter what Jesus tells us, if we were to see it through the eyes of love, that what he's doing is best for us, that what he's doing is because of love. Can love ever fail? Pure love, the beautiful love, the love of God. The love tells it, sell everything. Man, there's gotta be something in that, friends, that we gotta grab hold of. So let's just look at this now too, because this is another beautiful love. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's. Fear not. Little flock, what's a little flock? Little, you, fear not little sheepies, I'm your shepherd. A good shepherd, a great shepherd, the best shepherd. You, you, you're my flock, don't have any fear, don't worry, I'm your shepherd. Not only am I your shepherd, I'm your father. The best father you've ever had, you can take any or fathers, I, I could stand here and say, whoa, I got a great father, whatever. My father's nothing compared to the father in heaven who knows how to give good gifts, who knows how to love, who knows how to care, who knows everything, who sees everything. He's all sufficient, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's everywhere. You can't get a better father. And it says here beautifully, it says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God's desire as a good father, as a good shepherd, is to say, don't worry, don't fear, he'll take care of you. It's my pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then, I don't know what happened, but the, the next two verses are out of my Bible. I think there's typics. 
It says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Wow. He's really getting a point across here. Let me give you an illustration. If every single one of us hadn't have, had, did not have water for ages and ages and ages, we were really thirsty and we were desperate and we stumbled across the ocean. How many know that the sea is made up of water? Just in case, just checking everyone's uh, sea is made up of water, right? So how many of you are all very thirsty and you say, well, you know what we need? We need water. You're gonna run to the sea and you're gonna drink the water. How many know that the sea is water? How many know that the sea is not good to drink? Even though it's water. Now a wise man, and a caring man, and a loving man will stop you from drinking seawater. Because you might think it's doing you good, friends, but the next minute you're gonna get serious headaches. And then you're going to get hallucinations. And you're going to see wild and wonderful things. And then you're going to die. Our loving, caring, heavenly Father is standing, trying to tell us something that I know it's water, children, <laughs> but you don't drink of that water. Can I ask us as a church, just being very honest, why are there no radical Christians, sold out ones? Why is the missionary numbers going down every single year? Because we teach Abraham and Isaac and you know what? Jesus was testing Abraham. And, and, and Abraham put Isaac on the altar and he took up his knife and he was about to put his knife in it and then God said, whoa, it's all good. I've got a ram in the thicket, don't worry. Just checking your heart. Why do we teach that story of Abraham and Isaac and we don't teach the story of a man who lived in the Earl of Chaldeans, who was an idol worshiper, whose uh, whole family believed in a whole nother set of understanding and rules and what have you, and God came along and grabbed hold of his life and spoke to him and told him he had to leave father and mother and family and he had to leave the land that he knew and he had to go to a place that he didn't know where he was going. That's the same man, Abraham. Why do we teach the story of Mark chapter 10? How God is just checking and just challenging to make sure that our hearts are all in the right place. 
Why do we go to the scriptures, friends? When it talks about selling everything you have, giving it to the poor and following Jesus as if that's talking about somebody else. That's the reason why we don't have the missionaries and the radicals and the sold out in the church anymore. But I wanna say here today, if you wanna live the way the Bible lived, if you wanna live in this incredible story of Acts, of the, the first thing you have to do is you have to surrender all. You have to this morning is give God a blank check. You've gotta be willing this morning and to say, if you want me to go, I'll go, Lord. Friends, it can't be acceptable to the church today that there are over two billion people who don't even know the name of Jesus. It can't be acceptable that every single church planting a church program, whatever, is picking Johannesburg or Cape Town or Nazna as the places where the Holy Spirit's speaking to start another church. But nobody is going to Syria or Pakistan or Iran or Iraq, friends. Why? Because it's a, those are the tough places, all the good places are taken. And those places you could risk your life, you could die. But we got born again. And Paul said, I count all of this as rubbish to know him, friends. My journey is about knowing him, it's a journey with him. It's a journey of love, it's a journey of surrendering everything that I have to him. Amen. So as we stand here this morning, number one, if we wanna live and operate and be yielded and allow the Holy Spirit to lead and direct us, friends, first and foremost, we've gotta surrender all. And God's not testing you, he's telling you. Now, I'm not standing before you here today to say, sell all your possessions. Please hear what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to read you word, I'm trying to read you truth that God spoke that over us, his people. I'm trying to say that the danger, friends, is that if it's stuck in here, and a lot of the time the reasons why we don't go anywhere is because of possessions. And I'm saying those things have to die. Not just let me check your heart, half an hour, where's the ram? No, those things have to die, friends. Number two, for the sake of time, moving on. The number two, abiding. One, you have to surrender all. Number two, you have to abide. It's all about abiding, friends, about every single day waking up, listening to Holy Spirit, journeying with Holy Spirit, Him talking to you, friends. It's not just about getting a dream, friends. It's about the journey of Holy Spirit ministering, speaking to you. There's a beautiful picture in Acts chapter 13, friends. It's, a, it's about a church. It's about the early church. It's about a church at Antioch. It's about a base church. It's about a very powerful church, friends. There was a group of people, there were elders that were there and everybody was praying, friends. And while they were praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke. It's a beautiful illustration about family. It's about family coming together. It's about family trusting the Father who knows them well. 
It's about coming to the Father, it's coming to the elders, about sharing with the Father and the elders and saying, I don't know what's going on, I feel this, that, and the other, pray with me, let's journey it, let's outwork it, let's let Holy Spirit lead and direct us, let's fast, let's pray, let's let the family join in together, let's get entrusted leaders and people around us, and let's outwork these things because it's important, because I don't want to waste my life. Instead of a phone call to say, listen, by the way, sorry, I've gone down to Poffy's Fontaine, or I've changed jobs now, and I'm now over there, and I'm doing this, that, and the other, and bless you, thank you, I just want you to pray for me, and, uh, and, and give me a stamp of approval. Friends, it's too important to play around like that. It's important that we journey together, it's important that we trust one another, it's important that we stand together, it's important that our life is surrendered to Him, because I want my life to have over it totally fulfilled, totally achieved, good and faithful servant. Amen. So it's about a journey. It's about every single day abiding in Him, listening to Him, listening to Holy Spirit. It's more important the journey than it even is about the destination. It's about knowing Him, friends. It's not about all the stuff that I do. There are people that will stand one day, friends. It's in the Bible. You can go and read it, Matthew chapter seven. They will stand one day and say, I prophesied in your name. I raised the dead. I, I caused hula hoops. I caused donkeys to fly around the room and all kinds of great and wonderful things. And He will say, depart from me. I don't know you, friends. It's all about knowing Him. This is the great treasure. It's about knowing Him. My whole life is surrendered to knowing Him. My whole life is laid down, friends. Those are the two key things, friends, we wanna understand. It's about a surrendered life and it's about abiding in Him, friends. And the last one is, it's about resting. Resting. Psalm 131. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I am not occupied with thoughts that are too great and too marvelous for me. Psalm 131. I'm reading from the ESV. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Weaned child, friends, a child that's just content with the presence of her mom there. With us just content that we're in the presence of the Lord. Humility, friends, just humbly having a confidence and a trust in God. I'm not arrogant speaking all these things. I'm friends, I'm not all trying to achieve and do stuff for my own ability. I have no confidence in the flesh. I've calmed and quieted my soul. I'm like a weaned child just resting in the presence of the Lord. My confidence and my trust is totally in Him. I've surrendered my all to Him. I'm abiding in Him, friends. I'm resting in Him. He is the one who's leading and directing my life in every single sphere. Amen. 
my encouragement, my challenge to every single one of us today is as we go and we dwell in the secret place of the Most High and the shadow of the Almighty, as we rest, friends, as we come to the end of the year to just rest in God, to quieten our souls and our hearts, friends, I want to challenge us, friends, that we get purposeful about God, about the things of God, what we're called to in our lives. We get purposeful about 24-7 church. Because I want to challenge us and to say, did God plant us here or didn't he plant us here? If he planted us here, friend, we surrender all. We yield our lives totally. We abide in him. We trust each other with our lives. We share with one another our journeys, where we're going, what we're doing. We trust him to lead. We let Holy Spirit come, supernaturally begin to direct, begin to lead, friends. We give everything of our lives and of ourselves, friends. Because we desperately need the gospel to go out and be ministered to. There are thousands and thousands of people dying every single day that don't even know the name of Jesus. And we've got opportunity, and this church is a sending church, this church is a going church. I believe this church is the church that Jesus is building. And as people are gonna go now to India, probably to Nepal, as they go to Nepal, friends, do you know that there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in Nepal that have never heard the name of Jesus? Do you know that? That if you go into the mountain regions, you can walk and every single person you meet, they won't ever even know that there's a person called Jesus. But it's one of the most poverty-stricken places, friends, where people are dying from uh, starvation without knowing the name of Jesus. Friends, I think it's worth sacrificing a couple of musicians on a Sunday. I think it's worth sacrificing a few little luxuries in our lives, a few little possessions. Friends, as a church, friends, it's not acceptable that we are battling even to cover our costs, let alone send missionaries or send people out there to minister, let alone that we can go and do outreaches into our community and be the example, friends. All I'm asking the church to do is to settle something in their hearts. Have I surrendered all? Friends, we need to settle one thing and not to negotiate it anymore. Friends, tithing is a basic standard thing in the Bible. It's not even page one. I'm talking about a whole life that's surrendered to God. I'm not talking about whether you're giving 10% of your income. Come on, we've got to get past that, friends. But you don't know and you're challenging this. I do know, friends. And you'll notice I have taken up the offering, so nobody's being manipulated They did a survey, it's just come out, it's an American survey, sadly, but America's a reflection of the whole world. 6% of the American church tithes, 6%. The average American gives 2.5% of their income to the church, 2.5%. It's not acceptable. It's not so I can get a salary, friends. It's so that you and I can achieve what God's called us to do because we are people that wanna bring glory to Christ. It needs to be spoken. Don't shoot the messenger. It's the word of God, friends. We're not playing games anymore. People are dying, friends. And the church is mucking around and it's, the churches that have more finances, friends are building bigger buildings or putting more fancier stuff, whatever, to impress the people that are already in there while others out there are crying and dying, friends. I'm asking us as 24-7 to be the life of Christ. 
I'm asking us to surrender our lives, to count it everything, to know him, friends, to in the fellowship of his sufferings, friends. I'm not saying it doesn't cost, friends. In this world, you will have tribulation. Friends, when you signed up and you gave your life to Jesus, it's in the contract. But it wasn't a contract, it's a covenant. You gave your whole life, you gave everything, friends. The key thing at the end of it is the most key words, the one-liner, it says, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome this world. Amen? And I know, I, I appreciate that there's not too many amens, because that's not something you want to say amen too quickly to, and those that did say amen, appreciate you as well, because I know your heart. Shall we stand? I don't want to water down the word, friends. We've been a journey on a journey, Jane and I, and as a family, over the last couple of months, friends. And I don't want to tell you war stories or tell you, oh, well, woe is me for you to be sad. I, I think we've been on the greatest journey that God's ever, ever done in our lives. Because He's shaken everything that can be shaken. And He's made me relook at the Bible and relook at things. Friends, where I've got complacent, where I've just been blase, where it's just been nice, where it's all been about me, where it's about me achieving and me doing and this thing happening and, and being successful and this, that, and the other, friends. And at the end of the day, friends, I want my life to count for something. I want my family to count for something. I want my kids to count for something. I want 24-7 church to count for something. We've been given a mandate, friends. We've been given a plan and a purpose. I didn't start this church out of an ordinary thing, friends, and I will not finish it as an ordinary person. There is a call of God over 24-7 church to be the light, a city on a hill, to be the church that God has established and built up for such a time as this, friends. A church that's true family. A church that's covenanted not just to God, but covenanted together. That we don't hold things and each other lightly. That we will die for one another. That we yield our lives and entrust our lives together and we'll journey together. And there's no FBI and CIA garbage. But our lives are open. And our lives are surrendered to Him and He owns everything. Everything that we have is His. And He has a say on everything in our lives. And if He wants me to sell everything and give it to the poor, then so be it. But as surrendered lives, as yielded people, as covenanted people, it's not easy. It needs a family that can stand together, speak over one another, help one another, be there for one another. I had breakfast with an amazing person in this church in the week. They were just sharing with me how God has been doing amazing things in their business. And 
in, in the business that he works in and that he's involved in and, and how God's just blessing them. And, but he was just saying to me, it's, just, it's tough sometimes because you talk to other businessmen and they're taking strain and, and you feel sometimes embarrassed and I don't wanna. But I said, that's the beauty of family and being together. Because when God's blowing in your life, when you, He's blowing the, in the sails of your boat, when He's climbed into your boat and things are going great, you're an encouragement, you're a strength, you're a, you're a testimony to the rest of us. And you're a river that can enable to help because we flow and we help and we do things together with one another. And then when you look from the outset and you see that, you see it's a living body. Every part is getting supplied and helped and strengthened and it's growing up and it's maturing and it's working and it's doing everything it's called to do and it's reaching where it's supposed to reach. It's reaching its full potential because the whole arm and the fingers and the hands are all working together and they're all connected and everything is working together. And God is wanting us as a church to arise now because there is so much. A handful of ladies willing to go to Nepal for the gospel, friends. It's not acceptable. We wanna send a whole lot more. There's many people that don't even know Jesus that's around this building even right now, friends. There's people up in northern Botswana who've never even had a church. They don't even know what it is and what a church is, friends. And that takes a surrendered life. That takes finances. That takes time. That's costs, friends. That takes knowing Jesus Christ. So I wanna pray for every single one of us today. This is not something I can lay hands on people. This is... I pray that you'd capture our hearts, Lord God. I pray that we would stop playing games. I pray, Father, that we would arrest our hearts and say, God, what are you saying to me? What are you calling me to do? How are you calling me to get involved? Because I just wanna do what you've called me to do. I didn't even get to Romans chapter 15. Paul just was about doing what God had called him to do. Friends, that's all I'm our cry is that we do what God has called us to do. Not so that we can fill this building and have a big congregation, friends, but that's so we can do what God has called us to do. Lay down lives, lovers of God, Put no confidence in the flesh who glory only in Christ Jesus and who worship in the Spirit of God. At Sunday mornings, His Spirit of God is here hovering, bringing shape and form to the cry of our hearts, leading us, friends, that we can send out fully paid for people, Lord, to go 
to share the gospel, that we can share the gospel in our own spheres of influence with boldness and courage in Jesus' name. God, I don't even know how to land a meeting like this, but I just pray, Lord, that you would not let our hearts just walk away from your call this morning. Walk away from your cry, from your plea, from your love that wants to lasso us and wants to say, I love you. Don't drink from the seawater. Drink from the fountain of life. You will never, ever thirst. There is such joy in a laid down life. There is such joy in a life that abides in Him. There's such joy and such peace. Like a weaned child with a mother. As you just yield, put no confidence in yourself, but just rest and calm and quieten your soul down. And let me lead you, son and daughter, into the most divine, most beautiful, most amazing journey that will fulfill you forevermore. And the joy of the Lord will truly be your strength. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God help us as your people this morning to allow your word to mold and change our lives so that we can be like you. In Jesus' name.